And uh, if you have a Bible today, I want to encourage you to grab it, and you can find a seat this morning. And we're going to be in the Gospel of John. John chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. Is anybody ready and excited to dive into God's Word this morning on Anniversary Sunday? John chapter 4. And we're going to start reading in verse number 27. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. Most of the verses will be on the screen as well today. But John chapter 4, verse 27, the Bible says, And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his masters prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him out to eat? And Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then come at the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. He that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestow no labor, other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word, and said unto the woman, now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Today, for a few minutes, on our seventh anniversary, I'd like to speak to this simple subject, prepare for impact. In fact, everybody kind of give your neighbor a good nudge and tell them, prepare for impact. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for the work that you're doing in our church. Lord, we recognize this is your doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. And Lord, we know that this is not about us. It's all about you and your glory, just like we sang about a moment ago. Lord, I pray that that would ring true in each and every heart this morning. God, thank you for what you have done over the last seven years. And Lord, we thank you in advance for what you will do. Lord, I pray that you would keep within us as a young church, a pioneering spirit to blaze new trails, to get out of our comfort zone, and to have big faith to believe that you want to do the miraculous in our midst. Lord, I pray that you would prepare us to make an impact here in this city and beyond. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, 
Amen. How many of you would say that you have a strong sense of smell? Can I see your hands? You have a strong sense of smell. I remember several years ago, I got in my car and immediately I got a whiff of something that did not smell good. It smelled sour. And I thought, what is, what is in my car? And at that time, we had three young children still in car seats, and so I thought this smell could literally be anything right now. And I was trying to figure out what the smell was, and I was looking beneath the seats and everywhere, and I couldn't figure it out. And so I called Katie, and I said, do you know why our car smells so bad? It smells sour. And she said, I have no idea. So innocently. And then she said, well, come to think of it, I did misplace Luke's sippy cup with his milk in it. I'm not sure where that is. And uh, I thought, okay, now the truth is starting to come out. And so I started to look a little bit deeper in that car, and beneath the passenger seat, there was a cup of milk that was spilling uh, underneath that passenger seat. And uh, there was just a little bit of milk. Uh, I would say maybe just like the size of a, a quarter or so, but it was uh, dripping and spilling right there, and it just smelled so sour. And so I immediately went to the store. I got some carpet cleaner. I came back. I started scrubbing and spraying that carpet cleaner, and uh, the next day I got in my car, and it only made matters worse, okay? It just smelled uh, far worse. I just kind of rubbed it in and made, uh, made more of a mess of it. And so then we called a professional shampooing company to come and to shampoo the carpets. And so they came in, and they shampooed the carpets, and, and uh, they did a great job. And I got in the car the next day, and it still smelled sour in the car. And I thought, man, this is not good. And so then we decided that we were going to call in the big guns. And we called a professional smell extraction company. And uh, I did not even know that that existed, but you can find almost anything on Yelp. And this guy had some great reviews on Yelp. And so he came, and I'll never forget, he kind of showed up. He had like a little briefcase with him. And uh, he, uh, he kind of looked a little bit mysterious, and uh, he showed up, and he set his briefcase down, and he went over to the car, and he opened up the car door, and he smelled, and he looked at, he shut the door, and he looked at me, and he said, no problem. <laughs> and then he went over to the side uh, by my house, and he just put on some gloves, and he started mixing some chemicals together, and I'm watching this like, who is this man? And, and he is mixing things together, and he made some sort of concoction. He went over to my car, he opened up uh, the car door, and kind of like a grenade, he threw something in, he shut the door, and there was a puff of white smoke in my car. And I'm watching this happen, and I'm like, is this legal? Like, what is he doing right now uh, to my car? And, and uh, I'm thankful to say that he uh, deserved our business, and the smell went away. And, uh, and now, I will say for the next couple of weeks, my car just smelled like baby powder, but eventually, uh, the baby powder smell kind of went away, and uh, that smell was gone. Uh, but one thing I learned through that experience is that something that is so small can make such a big difference. Just that little tiny spot in the car uh, was changing our whole lives for a few weeks because we were trying to figure out how to fix this and what to do. Something so small can make such a big difference. And I think when it comes to life and ministry, a mistake that we often make is we equate size with significance. And if God's going to do something special, if God's going to allow us to make an impact, uh, then we have to have a larger platform, that we have to have more followers on social media, and we have to have more size. But I'm thankful today that in God's economy, size does not equate with significance. And aren't you thankful that little is much when God is in it? And God can take something small, and he can do something great uh, in our midst. And we come to John chapter 4, and here is this seemingly obscure woman from a small town. Uh, nobody around her would have thought that she could have made a major difference. Nobody would have imagined that she could spark a revival. And yet, in John chapter 4, this obscure woman with, with a haunted past sparks one of the greatest revivals in all of Scripture. 
And I'm thankful today uh, that God can use us even in spite of us. And this woman was used to make a great impact. Can I just encourage our church family on our seven-year anniversary? I believe that God is preparing us for greater impact. I believe that God wants to use our church to accomplish some great things here in the Inland Empire and beyond, not for our glory, but all for his glory. Uh, The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 5. In verse number 14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, uh, but put it on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. And so let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven i hope that's the prayer of your heart that you would let your light shine so that people in rancho cucamonga and fontana and ontario and san bernardino will see the light of your good works and they will be drawn to the light of god the father and receive him as their savior Uh, we are a city that is set on a hill we were destined for impact now in john chapter 4 It's kind of an interesting route that Jesus and his disciples take to go through Samaria. If you remember in John chapter 4, they were leaving Galilee, and Jesus said something interesting. If you've studied this passage before, he said uh, that he must needs go through Samaria. He said, I've got to go through Samaria. He said, what's the big deal about that? Well, the Jews never went through Samaria. In fact, at all costs, they would travel around Samaria. Uh, They didn't want any interaction with the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. The Jews hated the Samaritans. There was this great vitriol that was taking place. And so they would always go around. And Jesus said to the disciples, I've got to go through Samaria. And the disciples would have been shocked by this. Like, okay, this is something that we haven't done before. Uh, this uh, This is something that's new to us. And Jesus was not choosing this path because it was the most convenient. He was choosing this path because it was his calling. If you want to make an impact for the cause of Christ, you will choose to operate not out of convenience, but out of calling. And sometimes we have to be willing to get uncomfortable to see what God can do. And so Jesus says, I've got to go through Samaria. And so they go through Samaria and they come to a place called Jacob's Well. And once they get there, Jesus sends the disciples into the nearby village. And he says, I want you to go pick up some food, go get some lunch. And so the disciples are like, we're on it. They take off. Jesus waits there at Jacob's Well. And while he's waiting, the Bible says that a woman shows up. And there they have one of the most famous conversations in all of scripture. This woman who had a terrible past, Jesus says, you've had five husbands and the one that you're living with now is not your husband. She had a broken past. They started to talk theology. They started to talk about what true worship is all about. And then towards the end of the conversation, Jesus reveals who he is. They were talking about the Messiah and he says, you're looking at him. He says, I I am the Messiah. And upon that revelation, that woman was changed forever. Upon that revelation, she leaves that well. She goes back to her city and she starts to tell everyone about what she had just seen and heard. And she says, man, uh, come meet a man that has told me everything that I've ever done. This is truly the Messiah. And she left that day and she started to go and tell people about the good news of Jesus. And she turned her whole city upside down. God's done something great the past seven years. I'm so thankful for it. But I have a heart to turn this city upside down for the glory of God with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so today, as we look to John chapter 4, I want us to see some principles that can help us as a church family prepare for impact. And so today, if you want to jot a couple of these things down, let me give you a few principles this morning. Number one, Jesus operates in the unfamiliar. 
Jesus operates in the unfamiliar. Notice what our text says in verse number 27. And upon this, everybody say, upon this. Upon this. In other words, right then, right at this moment, right at that time in God's sovereign plan, the disciples walked up. And so right as Jesus reveals who he is, I am the Messiah to this woman at the well, upon this, at that moment, the disciples walk up. They're coming back. Remember, Jesus sent them to get food. And so they're coming back with lunch. I don't know what they brought back for lunch, but since they were spiritual, it was probably something like Chick-fil-A, okay? They were bringing that back and uh, got to throw in a cheesy church joke every once in a while. And so they're coming back with some lunch. And I want you to picture the scene. They're walking back with lunch and they're walking towards Jesus, speaking to a woman. So they're coming back from lunch. It was already uncomfortable for them. They, they were already in Samaria. They didn't do that. They already had to go into a village and have interaction. And that probably would have been a unique experience in and of itself. And so they're already kind of out of their comfort zone. They're already kind of feeling unfamiliar. And then they're walking towards Jesus speaking to a woman. Now, you need to know in the first century, that just didn't happen. A man would not speak to a woman in this culture in public, especially a rabbi. In fact, if you were a rabbi, most rabbis believe that if you were to teach your own daughter the law, you were considered a fool. This was the culture in which they lived. And so as the disciples are walking towards, towards Jesus speaking to a woman, uh, they are marveling at this, the Bible said. Uh, they're, they're not understanding this. They're, they're trying to figure out, what is Jesus doing? And he's speaking to a woman. This is new for us. We've never seen a rabbi do this. And so they're walking towards something that they don't understand. Can I tell you, sometimes following Jesus means you have to walk towards something that you don't understand. Sometimes you're going to have to keep on walking by faith even when you can't make sense of it. I'm not sure why God has me in this season. I'm not sure why God took my job away. I'm not sure why God took this opportunity away from me. I'm not sure why God allowed this trial in my life. I'm not sure uh, this is unfamiliar to me, but I'm going to keep on walking by faith and not by sight. And so the disciples are walking towards something that they don't understand. Why would Jesus be talking to this woman here in public at the well? But notice what it says in verse 27. It says, it says and his disciples came and marveled. So they were, they were flabbergasted. Uh, he, they marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, what seekest thou or why talkest thou with her? And so even though they were thinking it, they didn't say it. How many of you have ever had a question that you were thinking, but you didn't say it, right? And uh, they're walking, and, and, and they're thinking, man, what's going on? By the way, Jesus was teaching them a powerful truth, that he has a love that is without boundaries, and that he loves this woman, and that he has a great plan for this woman's life, and that he's going to use this woman to do something special. Jesus is breaking down racial, cultural barriers, and he's teaching the disciples to move forward even when they're unfamiliar. But they, but they thought it. They had some questions, but they didn't ask it. You know, I believe real spiritual maturity comes not with the questions that you do ask, but actually the questions that you don't ask. See, the more time you spend with Jesus, the less questions you ask. See, when you first get saved and, and, and you know, even throughout our Christian journey, when it comes to studying the word of God and knowing our faith, we should ask questions. I'm thankful that we have a faith that welcomes questions, that we can study the word of God and we can ask questions and we can be hungry and we can grow. But when it comes to the will of God, Spiritual maturity comes when we stop questioning God and start trusting God. And so the disciples are learning something. You know, let's just see how this plays out. R rather than one of us saying something, let's just see what Jesus is going to do. And they're learning to trust Jesus. And so nobody dared ask any questions, but they were moving forward and they were seeing something that was unfamiliar to them. They, they had to be willing, if they were going to make an impact 
For the cause of Christ, they had to be willing to operate outside of the familiar. They had to be willing to get outside of their comfort zones. A lot of times, we stay inside our comfort zones because it makes us feel safe. I don't want to be uncomfortable, and so I'll stay right here with what I'm comfortable with, with my style, with my preferences, with my methods, and with what I'm comfortable with because it makes me feel safe. But a comfort zone does not make your life safe. A comfort zone makes your life small. And so Jesus was telling the disciples and teaching them something by having this conversation right here at Jacob's well in Samaria. Hey, trust me, even when it might not make sense to you. And so if we're going to move forward and make a difference for the cause of Christ, we have to be willing to operate outside of what is familiar to us. But this leads us to our second principle today. Are you ready for number two? Yes, sir. Here's the second principle. Change people, tell people. Change people, they tell people. Notice what it says in verse 28. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men. And she probably said it to the men because she was very familiar with the men of the city. Verse 29, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Now, this woman, she leaves this moment at the well and she uh, goes back and she tells everyone in her city about her experience. Now, if you read in the first part of John's gospel, in, in John chapter 4, the first part of this passage, the Bible tells us that she came at the sixth hour. She went to the well at the sixth hour. That would have been around noon, right in the heat of the day. That is never when the women would go to the well. They would always go to the well early in the morning. Uh, they would go early in the morning when it was cool. They would go later in the evening. They would never go at noon. They would never go at the sixth hour. And this tells us the reason why this woman went at the sixth hour was because she was most likely rejected in her community. She didn't have a lot of friends. She lived in isolation. Here she is at Jacob's well all by herself in the heat of the day. When she went to the well that day, she went as a misfit. But when she left the well that day, she went as a missionary. Aren't you thankful that God can take a misfit and turn him into a missionary to be used for the glory of God? And so she leaves the well that day. And now she's telling everybody. Why? Change people, tell people. And notice a couple of things about this. Her evangelistic crusade, her little mission trip that she takes back to her village. Two things I want you to see about this. First, it was urgent. There was some urgency to it. Notice it in verse number 28. The woman then left her water pot. She came to the well that day with a water pot. She was looking for physical water. But she left that day leaving her water pot because she no longer needed physical water. What she needed was the living water, and she found the living water in the person of Jesus Christ. And so now those things that once mattered to her don't matter to her any longer. She can leave her water pot behind. She can leave her past behind, and she can move forward in the calling that Jesus has for her. And so what she does is she's in a hurry. There's a sense of urgency. Hey, here's my water pot. I'm not even done yet, but that no longer matters, and so I'm going to go back into my city. Why? There was a sense of urgency within here. Can I tell you today that we need more urgency amongst followers of Jesus? So often we are caring about things in life that don't really matter in all of eternity. There's got to be a sense of urgency. One of the greatest enemies to the gospel moving forward is procrastination. One day I'll invite my neighbor. One day I'll start serving. One day I'll start giving. And this woman said, I'm going to leave my water pot. There's a sense of urgency. I'm going to move Forward. I read a story recently about the Revolutionary War. There was a British commander named uh, Colonel Rawl, uh, and uh, this man uh, was eating dinner one night with his friends, enjoying dinner, and a messenger came and gave him a letter. 
And that letter said that George Washington was currently crossing the Delaware and giving him a warning. But since he was enjoying dinner with some of his friends, he said, I'm a, he thought, I'm going to read this letter later. And so he never opened it up. He just put it in his pocket. And George Washington, of course, they crossed the Delaware and they ended up winning the Battle of Trenton. And Colonel Rawl lost his life in that battle. When they found his body, the letter was still in his pocket. Can I tell you today that we have the greatest news and the greatest message in the history of the world? And tragically, often, we leave that message buried within our own hearts. Can I encourage you that the gospel that has come to you must go through you? Why? Change people, they tell people. She was changed, and she said, I've got to tell somebody, and she had a sense of urgency. But not only was she urgent, I want you to see the second thing. Everybody still with me today? Not only was she urgent, she was unashamed. She, she no longer was ashamed of her past. You know, she might have been uncomfortable before living in guilt and shame, but notice what it says in verse 29. It says, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. She said, I want you to come and see a man. He knows everything about me. He, he, told, he told me all those things that I have done. Yeah, that I had five husbands. And yeah, the guy that I'm with right now is not my husband. And, and, and he told me everything. Do you notice how her shame is gone? That her guilt is gone? Aren't you thankful that once you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, that you are now free from shame, that you are free from guilt, that there is there now therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus? That you've been justified. The word justified means to be declared righteous, to be declared holy before a holy God. And now she is unashamed, moving forward with confidence, saying you've got to come and meet this person. She's living in this newfound freedom. Hebrews 9 talks about this. In verse 14, it says, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. I'm thankful today that God offers a clear, cleansed conscience. Change people, tell people. Here's a third principle I want you to see today. Number three is this. Our calling requires commitment. What we do for the Lord, make no mistake about it. We're not trying to hide anything. It requires commitment. The faith to step out is worthless without the faith to stick it out. It's going to require some commitment. And Jesus is going to teach this principle here, starting in verse number 31. Notice what our text says. And I love this. It says, in the meanwhile, everybody say, meanwhile. meanwhile. And if this was a movie, you just kind of have to imagine this. I think it's humorous that uh, there is a great revival taking place over in the nearby village. So if this is a movie, dramatic music, come see a man who told me all things that ever I have done. And, and there's revival breaking out. And then it cut, uh, a scene uh, change and it cuts over. Meanwhile, verse 31, meanwhile, his disciples prayed him saying, master, eat. So me, dramatic scene, revival. Meanwhile, the disciples are like, Jesus, are you going to eat that? They're worried about food. They're hungry. And, uh, and uh, sometimes when we're hungry, it can be distracting. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes it's hard to focus. Some of you are like, I'm hungry right now. And, uh, and uh, just bear with me for a few more moments. And, uh, and so the disciples, they look at Jesus and they say, Master, eat. So their mind's on the physical. And, uh, and uh, they're saying, Jesus, eat. Now, Jesus uses that prompt to teach them a powerful lesson. Are you ready for the powerful lesson? Yes, Notice verse 32. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. The disciples are like, what? I'm like, what does that mean? 
In fact, we know what they were thinking. Look at the next verse, verse 33. Therefore said the disciples one to another, had any man brought him out to eat? Like, did someone else, did like DoorDash come by here a little bit ago? Or like, like did someone else bring him something to eat? What, what is Jesus talking about? Jesus is about to teach them a profound lesson in verse 34. He said unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Jesus was saying, my priorities are not physical. They are spiritual. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. What I am primarily focused on, Jesus says, is not just simply a secondary physical appetite. My primary focus is on that which is eternal. And so he's teaching them a lesson on priorities. I don't know if you've noticed this today, but in our culture, our priorities are all out of whack. Our culture has so many misplaced priorities. I read a story this week. There's a, this is a true story. There's a lady right now that's suing Hershey Company for $5 billion. And the reason she's suing Hershey Company was because this past Halloween, she went to get a Reese's peanut butter cup that was supposed to be carved out like a pumpkin. I think we have a picture this morning. And, uh, and she saw that on the package. And when she opened it up, it didn't have the carved out feature. It was just all plain. And so she's suing them for $5 billion for false advertising. I read that story and I thought, with all the things going on in the world today, Wars and rumors of wars and elections and so many things. She's worried about the car face on her Reese's peanut butter cup so much that she's going to sue Hershey Company. We live in a culture with misplaced priorities. So often, we are spending so much time, talent, energy, resources on things that will not matter in eternity. Jesus, you are so focused on the physical food right in front of you that you're missing out on an opportunity to impact eternity. And he's going to break this down for them. I love what Job says. Job 23 verse 12. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. The word of God, the things that are spiritual that matter in eternal, they are far greater than the physical things of this life. And so he's teaching how to change uh, their priorities, but also not only a lesson on priority, he's also talking about a lesson in persistence. Notice the end of verse number 34. Jesus said unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. And then I love this phrase, and to finish his work. Jesus says, you need to know that I came to finish what I started. And so I'm going to do the will of the father and make no mistake about it. I came to finish the will of the I came to finish that which I started. By the way, you fast forward to the cross and Jesus made a bold, a loud statement. It is finished. Aren't you thankful that Jesus did finish what he came to accomplish? But what was Jesus teaching them? That there ought to be a level of persistence in your life to finish that which you start. You know, I'm so thankful for the first seven years of our church. I really do believe like we're just getting started. We're still a church in our infancy. We're still just uh, getting things going. But, but I want to have uh, the persistence to make it all the way through. Yeah. I, I want to see what God is going to do in our future. And I don't want to stop short of what God can do on the horizon because I didn't have the faith to stick it out. When I was in, when I was in high school, I played basketball. And we would have to run. Uh, we'd have to run lines, and uh, you'd have to run from the end line to the free throw line and back and to the half-court line and back and to the other free throw line and back and to the other end line and back, and you'd have to do that over and over again, and our coach would watch us meticulously, and Seth knows what I'm talking about, and, and our coach would watch us, and if we didn't touch the line, if, if we kind of just went and kind of stopped short a little bit, uh, we would all have to run again. 
And it didn't matter if it was just one person that missed it. The whole team would have to run. And so you know what we did? We all held each other accountable. We're like, you better touch the line, right? You, you, everybody make sure you touch the line. And so every time we would go, we'd make sure we'd go all the way. Sometimes we would exaggerate. We're going to go past the line. Why? We didn't want to have to run again. We knew there would, be, there would be a consequence if we came up short. You know what we need in 2024? We need some followers of Jesus that are willing to touch the line. I don't want to stop short on all that God has for me and for my family and for our church. I want to go all the way through. Hey, I'm committed as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm going to finish that which I started. The Bible says in Proverbs 20, verse number 20, a faithful man shall abound with blessings, but he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. See, God is looking for faithfulness today. Jesus is teaching them on priorities. He's teaching them uh, on persistence. He's also teaching them on perspective. I want you to see it in verse 35. If you're still with me today, would you say amen? amen? Verse 35, say not ye, there are yet four months, and then come with the harvest. That was the typical time from sowing to reaping, and wheat harvest was about four months. So he says, don't, don't you say that there are yet four months, then come with the harvest? And then he says this, behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes. What was he saying? Change your perspective. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white. What's the next word? Already. Already to harvest. He says, if you would just change your perspective. Watch this. You're looking down at food. Master, eat. What are you going to eat? And Jesus says, if you would just change your perspective and stop looking at what's right in front of you and look up, you would see that the fields are white already unto harvest. What would the disciples have seen if they would have looked up? You know what they would have seen out in the field? They would have seen a group of Samaritans walking towards them. You know why we know that? Because when the woman went and she started telling everyone about Jesus, the, the Bible tells us that they left to go and find Jesus. And in just a couple of verses, they found him. And if they would have looked up, they would have seen a group of Samaritans coming before them. What they would have seen is an opportunity. They would have seen what really mattered. Wow, the fields are white already unto harvest. I wonder what would happen today if you elevated your perspective, if you stopped focusing so much on what's right in front of you and on that problem that's right in front of you and lifted up your eyes. I wonder what opportunities are before you. The next time you go to the gas station, uh, the Lord might want to use that little visit to be a divine appointment for you to invite that person to church. Uh, the next time you pull into your driveway and your neighbor's outside, maybe that's an opportunity to invite that person to church. See, what would happen if we just started to look up and see the opportunities before us? Jesus was teaching them on perspective. Lift up your eyes and see uh, what is ahead of you. Now, notice verse 36. He says this, and I love this. He says, and he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice. Everybody say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice together. You know, one of the greatest joys of life is to see someone come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, to see someone's life change. There will be rejoicing. See, I believe that when you're serving the Lord and living for the Lord, that is not a boring life. That is not the second best life. It's like, all right, I guess if I have to, since this other thing didn't work out, I'll just, you know, serve Jesus with my life. No, I believe that serving Jesus is the best life possible. And when you serve Jesus, there will be joy in your life. One of the most joy-filled people that I know is a man named Dr. Don Sisk. He's been to our church on a few different occasions. How many of you were here when Don Sisk came for our missions Sunday? He's been serving the Lord faithfully for I don't know how many years, uh, 60 plus years. And uh, I, I remember uh, when I was in high school, Don Sisk, he loves to play golf. 
he's a dear man of God. He's been on the mission field serving, and I think he's in his 90s now. And, and I remember when I was in high school, I went, and, uh, and I was going to go play golf with him. He loves to play golf. And, and so uh, we went, and uh, I, I went uh, with him, and I asked if I could drive the cart because that's what I was most interested in at the time is I want to be able to drive the cart. And so uh, I was driving the cart, and Don Sisk was sitting next to me, and I remember trying to be very careful because he was an older man, and he was a dear man of God, and he's been to, you know, so many different countries and preached the gospel to thousands of people, and here I am, just a junior high or high schooler, and I'm driving the cart, and I remember I was trying to be real careful, and we were driving down the cart path, and I was, I was going uh, as fast as I could just because we were going straight, and uh, we were going straight, and I remember he had a hat uh, on that he was sitting next to me, and his hat blew off in the wind. And so I kind of saw it out of the corner of my eye, and I thought, okay, I'll kind of slow down and turn around to go pick up, uh, to go get the hat. And I started to slow down, and I started to turn, I looked beside me, and he no longer was in the golf cart. And apparently he thought that I was stopping uh, to uh, get the hat, but I wasn't stopping, I was just turning, and I looked behind me, and he was rolling around on the concrete behind me. Now... I don't believe that you can lose your salvation, but in that moment, I thought maybe I did it. I don't know. Like, that, that might have been the moment. And I went and I ran up to him, and I thought he was going to be hurt or upset, and thankfully he wasn't hurt, and thankfully he wasn't upset. When I finally got to see him, you know what he was doing? He was laughing. He was like, oh, no problem. No, he was laughing, and, uh, and I remember that was such a relief, but that man has, has so much joy in his life. There's something special about spending time with Jesus, and the more time you spend with Jesus, the more joy that you will have in your life. I'm so thankful that serving the Lord here at Rock Hill, we've been able to see over 920 people pray to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior, and if there's anything that we ought to be excited about and anything that we ought to rejoice about, it's life change. And Jesus says, man, when you elevate your perspective and see, there will be rejoicing in your life. And so often we don't have rejoicing because we're focused inwardly. But what would happen if we started to look out, elevate our perspective and go and lead someone else to Christ or bless someone else? There would be joy on the other side of that decision. Now, I want to lead us to our last principle today and we'll be done. If you're taking notes, the final principle is this. If we're going to make an impact, we have to recognize there is power in partnership. Notice how our text closes, verse 37. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. One person has a job, another person has a different job. One sows, one reaps. Verse 38. I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored and you are entered into their labors. See, what was Jesus teaching the disciples in that moment? Some have the privilege of sowing. Some have the privilege of reaping. But it's not about who has what job. That we're all in this together. Some people sow, some people reap. It's not about this group or that group. It's not about old people and young people. It's not about this generation and that generation. Far too long, we have pitted the two once, one against the other. But he says it's not about this and that. It's about us coming together and recognizing that there is power in partnership when we do life together. Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. He says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. We all have a different role to play. We all have a different job to do, but it's God that ultimately gives the increase. In fact, think about this passage. Jesus is the one that witnessed. The woman is the one that invited. And now the disciples get to be a part of the follow-up process. Everybody had a different role to play. Everybody had a different job. And what we see is there's power in working together. 
There's power in partnership. Uh, the former CEO, COO of Facebook was Sheryl Sandberg, and she said this. I, I like this statement. She said, if you're offered a seat on a rocket ship, don't ask what seat, just get on. In other words, what she was saying is, if there is a major opportunity before you, if there's something big happening before you, you don't worry about what seat you have or what title you have or what position you have. You just say, where do I sign up? What would happen if the church would see, wow, there is a major opportunity before us to reach this city and to reach this community with the good news of the gospel. And we we would stop worrying about titles and positions and seats. And we would recognize that we are called to strive together for the faith of the gospel. There's power in partnership. D.O. Moody said, I have never yet known the spirit of God to work where the Lord's people were divided. You know what I'm thankful for in the first seven years of our church? That there's a pioneering spirit, a willingness to move forward. And God has, God has been so good to, to galvanize our hearts together with this, with this same goal, to have one mind and one spirit striving together for the faith of the gospel. That there's harmony in our mission. I'm praying that God would continue that spirit, that it would not be about positions, titles, and seats. It would be all about the gospel message. Now, I want us to see the revival that takes place. And to do that, I I would like to ask you to join me in standing. And I want you to see verse number 39. And you can't miss how the text concludes. So you got to lean in. You got to see the verse today. Notice verse 39. If you can see it, would you say amen? amen? And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there two days. So now they're having this great revival and spending time with Jesus and learning from Jesus. And the disciples are sitting here and the Samaritans are sitting here and they're looking at each other like, I don't know how this is going to work. And I love verse 41. And many more believed because of his own word that the woman went and she made an impact. But here, once they had an encounter with Jesus, the Bible says, many more believed. I am praying for the future of our church on this anniversary Sunday that there would be many more that would believe, that there would be more people reached with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus Christ, all for him and for him alone, that there would be many more marriages that would be united, that there would be many more children that would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that there would be many more teenagers reached with the good news of the gospel. I'm praying that God would do many more miraculous things in our midst. God's done some great things in the past, and we praise him for it. But I believe that there are greater things on the horizon. Many more people believed. Verse 42, and said unto the woman, now we believe, not because of your saying, for we have heard him ourselves. Don't take my word for it. You don't have to believe me. I'm nobody. But believe what God has to say. They said, we believe because we have heard for ourselves and know that this indeed is the Christ, the savior of the world. Here's the truth this morning. All of us are sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. And what we so desperately need is a savior. We don't need a system. We don't need a strategy. Uh, We don't just need some sort of structure. What we need is a savior. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 4.10 that he is the savior of all men, especially those that believe. 
And so the question this morning is, have you believed? Have you placed your, just like those men from that village of Sychar that said, hey, we heard him for ourselves and we believe this is the Christ, the savior of the world. Has there been a moment in your life when you said, I'm placing my faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone for my salvation? Because I believe if you haven't made that decision, today can be the greatest day of your life. You can give your life to Christ and put your faith in him. And the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.